I'm going to talk about sexual purity tonight. And that might get a little uncomfortable for you. Well, it's more uncomfortable for me because y'all are looking at me. <laughs> Here's what I want to say. If, if you find yourself tonight feeling shame or condemnation or fear, it's not from God. Because it's not how God works. Uh, but, but God has this little word that we use and it's called conviction. Conviction is different then there's another Bible word called condemnation, okay? So conviction draws you to God. Um, there's a story about this kid in the Bible. He's called the prodigal son, Luke 15. He comes to his senses and he says, man, I got to change my life. And here's what he does. He runs back to his father. That's conviction, Okay condemnation says it's over I've I've gone too far I've made too many mistakes I need to run from God and that that is just not the case because Romans 8 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ I'm giving I'm saying a lot that isn't in my sermon notes for this reason because when I talk about purity there may come a point as you're sitting there that the devil is going to lie to you and he's going to say, you've made too many mistakes. You're, you, you're too far gone. You're too addicted. You're too whatever, whatever. And just give up. And that, that is just such a lie from the enemy. God is always drawing us closer to himself, okay? And, uh, and he's not surprised, by the way, by your issues. Are you still surprised when you make a mistake? You're still like, oh, my God, I can't believe I... He's not. But he does, he does want to help us tonight. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, if you missed this morning, I talked about parenting, by the way. So uh, on our YouTube channel in the morning, we'll have this morning sermon and tonight's sermon, both on YouTube and both on our podcast channel. Those are free. They're for you. And so just want to make that clear as well. Um, if you're here tonight, you're married, you have kids, and you're like, what am I doing here? Uh, well, this is, this is good for you if you're a parent because this will help you with your kids. But secondly, um, we did a, a talk specifically around children this morning. Uh, next week, we'll start a brand new series called How to Change Your World. And I'm very excited about that. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about purpose, calling, um, attaching your career to God's call on your life. And it's all going to be a setup into Easter. And so um, really excited about that as well. Okay, grab your sermon notes if, if you want to. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, there is two books in your Bible, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Co the city of Corinth in Greece, Corinth, was the first century's version of Las Vegas. It was lit. It was crazy. And, and what's happening is these people are getting radically saved, okay? They're coming to Jesus. They're getting saved, they're, but they're a mess. So when you read First and Second Corinthians, you're going to find Paul saying things like this. Guys, you're getting drunk at the communion table. Think about that turn up happening. Well, free wine, you know, they don't know any better. There, there's a, there's a, a story that Paul corrects where he says, there's a man sleeping with his stepmother and y'all are okay with it. So Paul literally says, kick him out of the church. I mean, like, it's wild. And, and so First and Second Corinthians, if you'll read it, and I, and I hope you will, I'd love for you to read it out of this talk tonight. Paul's pretty intense. Because he's calling a church, listen, from salvation to discipleship. From salvation into repentance. M many receive Jesus as Savior and they have a real, a real work in their heart. God really gets a hold of their life. But they haven't, they haven't quite given their body over to Jesus. Yeah. And so, so Paul is writing, and he's going to write about sex, and he's going to write about purity, and he's going to write about, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And he's going to write about a lot of other things, but he's, 
he's writing to a to a church that loves Jesus. But I don't know if you remember the woman who called into the Ellen show and said, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. It's kind of Corinth. They love Jesus, but <laughs> cuss a little and sleep with their stepmom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and get drunk, you know. So so Paul is is he's teaching. And he would actually say this. He goes, he goes, guys, I know that my letter has caused sorrow in your heart. And that might happen a little bit tonight. It might happen a little bit. You're watching online later on and you're going, man, I feel a little bit, I feel bad about myself. Don't. He, he, here's what he said. He goes, he goes, there is a worldly sorrow that's all about you. That, that leads to death. And he goes, that's not, that was not my intention. He says, but there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And so if you're, if you're here tonight and, you're, and as I'm talking, you, especially when I get into the sexual purity stuff, you go, man, I kind of feel bad. Don't, don't feel bad. But lean into God. Watch what God will do for you, okay? So that took way too long, but I've, it's important. Because a lot of you have never even heard any of this stuff. And so it, it could be a little bit of a intense conversation. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Sometimes... I wish everyone were single like me. A simpler life in many ways. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about himself. He's single. And he says, my single life is a simple life. But celibacy, now notice right away, notice that Paul calls a single life a celibate life. is not for everyone. <laughs> Some of y'all going, amen. <laughs> Any more than marriages. So he's, he's saying for some, single is the way to go. For others, marriage is the way to go. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. Notice they're both a gift. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires, do you understand what he's talking about? Yeah. If you have a kid in here, this would be the time to take them to kids' ministry. Um, if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. Okay, let's talk, let's talk tonight. Some of you are like, I'm tortured, pastor, pray for me, pastor. I want to talk about the gift of singleness, the gift of singleness. Doesn't mean you're going to be single forever, but if you're single right now, there's actually a gift in it that you can experience. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the moments we share. I pray you speak now clearly. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Zach. 45% of adult Americans now um, in America are unmarried. And so um, it's almost 50-50 now that for adults in America, they're, they're single. Um, maybe divorced, maybe not. Maybe have been engaged, maybe not. But this is, this is a radically different trend than the first few hundred years of American history. If you, if you just go back a few decades, like 85, 90% of all adult Americans were married and married young. And so that's really changed. Um, e even in the last 16 years, when my wife and I got married 16 years ago, uh, we got married, she was 20, I was 22, and that it really wasn't even a thing. Now, if you like met a 20-year-old that was getting married, you'd be like, are you, are you sure? Are you okay? Are you in a cult? Are you? So the, the average American male is now getting married at 30, and the average American female is getting married at 28. So we're waiting, we're waiting, excuse me, longer than ever to get married. And there, there's a lot of reasons for that. None are, it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just where we're at. So here's what I want to do, though. I want to help you while you're single. Because you can actually enjoy this season. You can be secure in this season. You can be satisfied 
in this season. You can actually be happy while you're single. You really can. You can enjoy it. Uh, but it also comes with some boundaries. In the same way that marriage has boundaries, the single life has boundaries. You just got to know that. There, there are boundaries that I am under by God married to my wife. And there are boundaries that you're under being not married. See, neither of us are free. Here's why. Because when we gave our life to Christ, we gave him lordship. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'm an adult. I'm an American. You can't tell me what to do. I can't. I can't. But if you've given your life to Christ, then you've agreed to give him every part of your life, spirit, soul, and body. And for Americans and for the West, it's the body that we don't really want to give up. So here's what we have to know. Number one, singleness is a gift. Paul says that God gives, gives the gift of the single life to some. Paul calls singleness a gift, and Paul calls singleness a simpler life. You have this season as a single person, and it's a gift, and you should treat it as a gift. Don't don't complain about it. Don't be mad about it. Don't be frustrated about it. Embrace it for what it is. It is a gift. It, it's, it might be a little bit of a lonely gift. There might be some cold nights a part of this gift, but it is a gift. Marriage is a gift, but the single life, according to Scripture, is a gift. Now, notice this. He calls both marriage a gift and singleness a gift. So if you're married in here, you have to embrace marriage as a gift. This is a gift to me. And, and all the single people honestly are going, well, that's easy for you to say. But, but I'll be honest with you, if, if you're single, that's a gift. And there's a lot of married people in the room going, you should really appreciate that. <laughs> They're both a gift. And honestly, the way that you treat your season of singleness will directly affect the joy that you're going to experience in marriage. You have to see both as a gift, and God wants you to enjoy that gift. God wants you to enjoy that season. God wants you to learn in that season, grow in that season, prosper in that season, move forward in that season. And, and marriage isn't necessarily the ultimate goal, by the way. The, the goal is not marriage. The goal is obedience. The goal is not marriage. The goal is obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit. The, vo the, the goal is not marriage. The, the goal is serving God. The, the, the goal is not marriage. It's obeying God. The goal is not marriage. It's walking in everything that God has for you. And if marriage is a part of that, great. And for the vast majority of people, it is a part of your future. But at the same time, you have to see this season as, you, you can't approach singleness as, I hate this season, I'm going to complain about this season, I'm going to be lonely in this season, and I'm just waiting for the one to come and save me from this season, because that's not how it's going to work, okay? Because you will put an unhealthy, an unnatural amount of pressure on them to bring you relief, and they can't bring you relief. All right. So you might feel pressured to be married. It's okay, I'm just teaching. I'm gonna just I don't want to get emotional tonight because it's gonna get heavy. And I don't I'm not trying, I don't want to warm up. I want to stay right here. <laughs> um, don't let people pressure you into get well, why aren't you married? Hey, are you interested in anybody? Are you oh, you're 26, huh? Oh, you're, oh, turning 30? Are you gonna, gonna give me some grandbabies? Are you gonna don't, don't let anyone, including mama, pressure you. Don't let anyone make you feel bad for not being married. Because that's not the goal. The goal is not marriage. It's not the goal is personal health, personal obedience, a personal walk. with. That's the goal. Now let me just set this straight as well. If you're not married, it's, it's don't believe this lie. Well, I'm, I'm not married yet, and it, it must mean because I'm not ready to get married yet. 
No, no one's ready to get married. I wasn't ready at 22. And if I was single until right now, I wouldn't be ready at 38. You're not ready to get married. Because there's, there's actually, when you're following Jesus and your spouse is following Jesus, there's actually a grace that he releases in the union. You're not ready. No one's ready. So, well, man, if I could just work on this and if I could just change this and if I could just, then I would be ready and then God would give me a, a spouse. That's not how it works. God, God doesn't like have a spouse ready to go. I'm, I'm ready. Whenever you're ready, I'm ready. If you're ready, whenever. We were not ready. 22 and 20, we were not ready. And, and we had to work through that, grow through that, mature through that. We weren't ready. And you're never ready. You're not ready to have a kid either, by the way. We weren't ready to, we were, we, we had been married 10 years. We were, we lived in a perpetual date night for 10 years. We were so selfish. The way we fought before Goldie about the dumbest things. Love Jesus, filled with the Holy Ghost, pastors, and we'd scream at each other about where we're going to eat dinner. I mean, we would get in fights about, we were so selfish. We weren't ready for Goldie. But it was the best thing for us. So, so don't, don't believe that. Um, People even say this, don't pray for the one, become the one. Well, Because eh. again, it's a little bit of shame. It's a little bit of you kind of suck, and if you were better. Let me say another thing. There isn't the one. There isn't the one. You marry someone, and then you become the one. Here's what the, the Bible doesn't say there is the one. The Bible says the two become one. And that takes time. And usually be, you, come, you become one through sex and fighting. <laughs> FYI. So, so don't live in this fear. I'm talking to single people. Don't live in this fear of, oh, man, if I was just ready, well, if I was just more spiritual, if I just prayed more, if I was just prettier, if I was more handsome, well, if I was more responsible, God would give me the, that's, God has never chosen a spouse. Like you're never going to read in the Bible and you're single and you read and you go, oh my, oh, it's, oh, it's Joe. Oh, it's Joe. <gasps> you're never going to read that. It's not in the scripture. You're, you're going to, if you're a Joe in here, you're loving this right now. You're like, yes. You're not, here's what you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to grow in your values. You're going to grow in your, in what you care about. You're going to grow in your love for God. And one day you're going to look around. There's going to be somebody else doing the same thing. You're going, you're cute. <laughs> and the relationship is going to start. Okay. Um. You've got to learn to enjoy this season. Here's why. Because if you don't enjoy this season, you won't enjoy the next. Miserable singles are miserable spouses. Oh, she's crazy and she complains and she's so mean to me. But maybe if I just marry her, then I'll give her what she wants. Bro. Well, he can't keep his hands off me, uh, off me, and all he wants to do is sleep with me. And I'll, I guess I'll just marry him, and then I'll relieve that. No, you won't. If I'm a sex addict without a ring, I'm still a sex addict with a ring. And if I'll break my covenant before God to stay pure as a single person, I will break my covenant with you as a married person. Well, I just need to, I just need to marry him because he 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 has needs. We all have needs. So we don't all get to work, we don't all get to act out on our needs. It's just it's crazy the things we tell ourselves. Well, he's controlling and abusive, and but if I marry him, no. Miserable singles make miserable spouses. Marriage and money are magnifiers. 
If you're greedy and I give you money, it only magnifies the greed. If you're generous and I give you money, it will only magnify your generosity. In marriage, whoever you really are gets magnified in the, in the pressure of marriage. It, it doesn't, marriage doesn't change you, it reveals you. Some of you are like, I'm glad I'm single right now. Glad I broke up with that guy. You should be. And, and then marriage magnifies the good and the bad. It's good and bad. I hope you understand that. But it, it only magnifies who you really are. Because it gives who you really are a concentrated place of expression. So if I'm angry, anger's magnified towards my wife. If I'm generous, Generosity is magnified towards my wife. If I'm an addict, it's magnified towards my wife. If I'm kind, it's magnified. You got to understand this. Marriage and money are magnifiers. And if you think, I'm talking about, I'm talking about singleness as a gift. That's, this is point one. This is only point one. <laughs> Let me see that next slide. If you think marriage is the answer to all of your problems, your spouse will be your problem. If I could just get married. If, if he would just marry me. If she would just marry me. If I could just find the right guy. If I could just find a good guy like that. If, if you think marriage is the answer to all your problems. Your spouse will be your problem. It just will be. The, the moment you try to pinpoint a source to your dysfunction. If I just had money, I'd be happy. If I could just have sex, I'd be happy. If I could just get married, I'd be happy. If, if I could just move, I'd be happy. If I could just live in that home, I'd be happy. If I could just drive that car, I'd be happy. If I could just wear that watch, I'd be happy. If I could just... The moment you do that, even if you got it, it would now become your issue. This is so much more about what Christ is doing in me than... See, we, we pray for all the wrong things in church. We, we pray for all this stuff. And if God gives you the stuff, but he never changes your soul, all that stuff's just going to crush you. You got, you got to be careful. Okay. Am I, am I helping you so far? Okay, it's going to get worse. Point number two, to be single, according to scripture, is to be celibate. And a lot of you are going, that's cool. I don't even know what celibate means, so we're good, dog. <laughs> well, I'm going to define it. <laughs> celibate, to abstain from sexual relations. The Apostle Paul calls singleness... In verse 7, he called singleness celibacy. Sex is a gift from God. It's beautiful. It's sacred. It's freaking fun. It is. It's fun. Look at me. Look at me. And marriage. No, 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 because you're getting all distracted. You're like, whoo, pastor, what's happening? And marriage is the only place you can unwrap that gift. Sex is a gift from God. It's God is not a prude. Think, think about how the creation starts. He puts a man and a woman in a garden naked. And he's like, have fun. It's a pretty good deal. So he's not a prude. Sex is a gift from God, but it can only be unwrapped in the context, in the gift of marriage. This is the only place the gift of sex can be experienced. And I know this is hard to talk about. I, I know that after tonight's talk, there will be people who will never come back. They'll never come back. I know that. I understand that. I understand after the things I said this morning, if you haven't heard that one yet, Jesus... 
There, there are people that will never come back. I understand that. But, but I love you. I don't love you being here. I love you. I don't love your attendance. I love you. I don't love your money. I love you. I don't love your tithe. I love you. And God loves you. And God loves you so much that he would, that he would tell you the truth even if it's offensive at first, even if you got to chew on it for a few days or weeks or months, even if you leave and, 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 and never talk to me again, and never, but I love you that much. God is not prohibiting sexuality, but he is protecting sexuality. Okay? So he's not angry. He's not a prude. He's not... He, he's, he created sex and gifted us sex. But it has a very sacred context and cannot be, should not be experienced outside of that context. So here's what the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the chapter right before the one we just read. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. I love the message. It's like a little rated R. <laughs> sex is more spiritual mystery. Is as much, excuse me, spiritual mystery as physical fact. Watch what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying sex is not just, spirit, it's not just physical. There, there's a spiritual mystery. As it is written, the two become one. Saying this isn't just skin on skin. This isn't just a hookup. This isn't just a way for me to Get rid of some passion. This is not skin on skin. This is a, there's a spiritual mystery that happens in sexuality. It's the, the two become one. And since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. And you know that's true. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins, now watch, this is so big, are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. Maybe you grew up in church and you heard this phrase, sin is sin. It's not true. There is a sin that is different than all other sins. And it's sexual sin. Why? Because it is a sin against your own body. And, and you go, well, what's so sacred about my body? These bodies that were made for God given and God modeled love. In other words, if you want to read in the old translations, you're, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're, you're the sacred creation of God. You're made in the image of God. Do you not realize that your body is a sacred place? Think about that. My body's a sacred place. If you wouldn't do it in here, hmm. your body's a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit. So sin is not sin. There are levels and degrees to sin. And God goes, I've filled you with the Holy Spirit. You are now my walking, talking temple. So sexual sin is, is different because it's a sin. Not only is it a sin against God, but it's a sin against the person and it's a sin against yourself. Okay. So... Now, if you'll, if you'll approach it this way, sex isn't dirty, That's right. but it is sacred. Yeah. Do you understand the difference? It's not, sex isn't wrong, it's just sacred. Um, sex is to be celebrated once you're married, but, but it is sacred. Okay. And I, I hear the question, because I, I I'm reading minds right now. Well, how, how far can I go? <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I believe if you're in a serious relationship and, and the conversations around marriage are happening, they're definitely, you do need to start kissing. 
because you need to know <laughs> if you even like. No, I'm serious. I mean, because y'all are 12 years old. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> my, my poor little wife can't even look at me. She's just like, Jesus, just. There, no, you need to start. I don't think you need to wait till your wedding day to kiss a person, okay? But that's as far as you get to go. If you asked, then you were asking because I was reading your minds. <laughs> if you weren't asking, then do whatever you want. But, I'm, but if you're wondering, well, how far? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that, that's what I'm going to say because you were asking. <laughs> now, um, there, there's now a, a stream of, of progressives within the church that are trying to preach a progressive gospel and deconstructing. This has become a big thing. And one of their big attacks on the church is a toxic purity culture. Um, you'll, you'll see this from all the big progressive names and the, and the big deconstruction names, toxic purity culture. And they make fun of things like, you know, when I went to youth group, we would have a swim party and girls had to wear a T-shirt or, you know, um, girls were told that they need to be modest and they never really confronted guys. I just want to say, if, if you did grow up in a toxic church culture, um, I, I, I'm sorry you did. I, I didn't, but I did grow up in a, in a culture that did promote purity um, through my teenage life. And I think it actually saved my life. So uh, I think there is something beautiful about being modest. I think there is something about, about purity that makes us different. Um, and the church has not been perfect, okay, talking about this. But let me say this. You, you want to critique the toxic purity culture, quote, unquote. Well, how has the sexual, sexual revolution worked out for us? I want to submit to you that free love that began in the 1960s has been incredibly costly. They, they, they want to critique the church's toxic purity culture, but the sexual revolution of the 60s that began in our nation has rotted our nation. And you can go back to Egypt, and you can go back to Rome, and you can look at the West. The moment a culture becomes has given themselves over to sexual perversion. Every culture crashes. Read a book. No, I'm serious. It happens in every culture. They, they, they prosper. They get, they, they get into lust, and then their culture crashes. And that, we're experiencing it right now. We're experiencing, we're experiencing a 50, 60-year culmination of the sexual revolution. That's why even when I talk about this, for most people in the room, you're going, I, what are you talking about? The same way that Corinth was at the peak of their sexual revolution. So when Paul goes, hey, you can't do that anymore. This Sex is more than skin on skin. This is sacred. They're going, what are you talking about? We didn't know that. And, and Corinth fell. Rome fell. That empire fell. And, and with the only way America will be saved is if there is a purity revolution that takes place within the body of Christ. It's our only hope. I'm just telling you, it's our only hope. Sexual addiction, 23,000 people a second are logging onto pornographic websites. A second. Over 60... Over 60 million aborted children since Roe v. Wade. I have a friend named Pastor Julian in L.A. He's an African-American. He told me this. He said, Javen, wherever you find poor black and Hispanic people, you will find a Planned Parenthood. You, can't, you cannot say Black Lives Matter and then, put a, and then put a Planned Parenthood where there's minorities. Yeah. 
Planned Parenthood has systematically attacked minorities. And if and go just go do a three minute search on the founder of Planned Parenthood. She was evil and she hated black people. I'm just where where has the sexual where has the sexual revolution led us? Twenty seven million slaves in our world right now, more slaves alive today than all slaves combined in world history, and the vast majority of them are women and children in sex work. I, I will not apologize for looking at you and going, you can sleep with your spouse and that's it. I'm not going to apologize for that because where, where, where this has led, where free love has led our nation, and you're looking at me right now because I'm looking at your face. And you go, whoa, bro, I just like my girlfriend, dog. Oh, hold on, homie. Everything I do is consensual. But my question is, where are we going to draw the line? Like if we're not going to go with scripture, where are we going to draw the line? If we're, if we're not going to let God define sex between one man, one woman in the context of marriage, where do we draw the line? And, and who is smart enough, moral enough, and wise enough to make that decision. And I just want to submit to you, we have proven over 60 years we're not smart enough, wise enough, or moral enough. So yes, the church has not been perfect. But I look at, I'm looking at so many friends right now, so many preachers right now cheating on their wives, losing their ministries, destroying churches, destroying the faith of people. Because they've, they've chosen to reject God's way. Okay. So in Acts chapter 15, I'm not even close to done. I told you I'm going to go long, but I'm, I'm not going to go. I don't want to go all night, but I want to say this. Acts chapter 15, Gentiles are getting saved. Okay. So the first, first few chapters of the book of Acts, only Jewish people are getting saved. So they already have all of cultural Judaism in their, in their bones, in their DNA. So they're getting saved, but they're, they're also culturally following the Old Testament law. But now all these crazy Gentiles are getting saved. All these, all these Corinthians and Romans and you know what I'm saying? And, and, and they're, they're wild so the apostles have a round table in Acts 15, and they go, well, what do we tell them? You know, we're, we follow the law, we follow the Sabbath, we follow the Ten Commandments, because it's what we do culturally as Jewish people. But these people aren't Jews. They're Christians, but they're not Jews. What do we tell them to do? So they write to the Gentile church in Acts chapter 15, verse 28, and they say, it, was good. it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit to not burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. So, so they're going to say, hey, you're new to Christ. You're going to learn the scriptures. You're going to, you're going to learn obedience to God. Here's just a few things. Let's start here. Abstain from food, sacrifice to idols. Because what would happen is you would go down to the market and you would go buy a piece of beef, but it had been sacrificed to an idol that morning. And they go, let's stay away from that. Probably a good idea, you know. It's been Blessed by a witch or a curse by a, you know, he's like, just stay away, from, stay away from blood. Don't drink blood anymore. Again, it was just something very natural in that time. Uh, from meat strangled, um, from strangled animals. And watch this. And from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Okay. Now here's what you're thinking. You're thinking exactly what. The Gentiles were thinking, well, what's sexual immorality? Where's that at? Maybe you've seen Jesus say this in the, in the book of Matthew. Don't lust in your heart. You're going, well, what's lust? Well, please, please hear me when I say this. These are Jewish men who had the Old Testament. So their definition of sexual morality or their definition of lust came from the scriptures. Are you tracking with me? Is this so you understand this? These are so so when they say do not be sexually immoral, 
they had an Old Testament text that gave them what that is. When Jesus says, don't lust in your heart, he has an Old Testament. He's a, he's a Jewish scholar. Well, he wrote it, by the way. But he's a Jewish scholar. Who, so, so people will say things like this. Well, Jesus never talked about that. Well, of course he did. He wrote it, so of course he talked about it. He believed it. Jesus preached and embraced the Old Testament as biblical theology. This is very important to understand because when, when they say do not commit sexual immorality, they had Bible to now help those Gentiles understand what that would be. So now there's a very long text in Leviticus 18. I'm just going to read a few verses because it's too long. Here's what the Lord says to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do down on the strip. What's that show? All, all y'all are watching that new show right now um, on HBO. Euphoria, yeah. And, and God says, that's not your example. Egypt's not your example. You tell me what to watch? I ain't telling you nothing. But I'm telling you, I, I'm the, God says, I'm the Lord your God, and I don't want, you're not, you're not going to find sexual ethics in the world. We're not getting our example from HBO. We're not getting our example from the strip. We're not getting our example from the Kardashians. We're not getting our example from Yay. We're not getting our example. That's where you used to live. Before you came to Christ. I don't need it. It's okay. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. So, so God says, you've seen crazy sexual sin in Egypt. And where I'm about to bring you into Canaan, you're going you're gonna to see crazy stuff. Don't follow their practices. We don't, we don't get our sexual ethic from Instagram. We don't get our sexual ethic from Rolling Stone. We don't get our sexual ethic from Cosmo. We don't get our sexual ethic from pornography. God, God says, I'm going to give you sexual ethic. You must obey the laws and be careful to follow the decrees. You're going, Jabin, why are you reading this? Because when the apostles in the New Testament say, we want you to avoid sexual immorality. They're going back to Leviticus 18. That's what I want you to understand. Okay. Read the next 20 verses in your own quiet time. God's going to talk about don't have sex with family members. He's going to say don't, don't sleep with your mother. He's going to say, don't sleep with your sister. He's going to say, uh, don't sleep with your father's wife. He's going to say, don't sleep with your grandchildren. He's going to say, don't sleep with animals. He's going to say, avoid uh, homosexuality. He's going to, for 20 verses, I could read them all, but y'all are already just overwhelmed, I could tell. <laughs> it's just over and just boom, 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 boom. And, and here's what he says. He goes, that's, that's how they do it in the world. And, and, and let me just speak to something because you go, you go, well, I don't, I would never sleep with a family member. Yeah, but, but you know, the biggest, inter the, the biggest fantasies in porn are stepsisters and stepdads and stepmoms. And, and I know, and some of you are like, oh my God, I can't believe you're talking about this. It's not new. It's not new. Sex is sacred. And, and God goes all the way from, from homosexual sin to family sex to animal sex. And God goes, avoid all of that. That's what they do in the world. That's what they fantasize about in the world. That's what they practice in the world. That, that is sexual immorality. So his gift to us is one man, one woman in a covenant this is where I express my sexuality. Let me just say this. Attraction is not a sin. But what you do with that attraction can lead to sin. So you're a human. You're going to feel things. You're going you're to like things. You're going to be attracted to things. Attraction is not a sin. 
If you're a guy in here, you come up to me today, I need pray for me, I gotta stop lusting, pray for me that I'll stop liking women. I'm not gonna pray for that. I'm a, that's not the prayer. The prayer is self-control. The prayer, well, we really love each other, but we're just, you know, we're gonna work for six more years and make, you know, we're gonna get our savings account up to a hundred thousand dollars and then we're gonna get married. Bubba, it's if you love each other, and you, I mean, you, you got to make a decision, bro. Yeah. D- does this make sense? Yeah. I'm not trying to be heavy. I'm not trying to be hard. But I, but I am saying that there is clear biblical New Testament theology around sexual ethic. And the way that the Apostle Paul would say it in First and Second Timothy is, I want, I want a man of God. To be a husband to one wife. That's, that's God's will and plan. And we do not express our sexuality outside of that. And you're going, okay, okay I, I agree with you, but what do I do till I get married? You don't express. When that's really hard, yeah, it's challenging. I don't know if I can do it. You, you can't, but by the help of the Holy Spirit, you can. You're not an animal. You don't have to act out on every urge you have. And you, and you actually have to learn how to, how to not act on those urges now because it's not like those urges are going to go away when you get married. Number three. Are you okay? Are we okay? I, I love you that much. Because the world's kicking our butt right now. And you're in shame. And you're having to take morning after pills. And you're, and you're wondering if you have an STD. And, and, and they broke your heart. You don't have to live with any of that. You don't have to feel ugly. You don't have to feel bad about yourself. You don't have to give yourself away to be approved. You don't have to give your body away to feel valued. I feel for you. I feel for you. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's crazy up in these streets. So I'm with you. I'm emotional tonight. I'm, I'm broken for you. But I just want to tell you, there is a possibility in God that we can live. We're not above people, but we can live above this system. All right. Date God's way. Date God's way. Here's what I want to, I want to relieve you as a Christian of this pressure. So, so now we're like, well, I got to get married, dog. No, you don't. No, you don't. Okay. Because you can abstain, number one. And number two, dating is, is, the goal of dating is not necessarily just marriage. Okay. Dating is actually more about self-discovery than it is about discovering them. Because it's in dating that you go, oh, I don't, I don't like this. Oh, I don't like this type. Oh, she, oh, she crazy. I don't think I want to marry crazy. I think, oh, he's, oh, he's like, okay, I don't like this. You actually, you learn more about you than about them in dating. Because some of you are going, well, after what you just said for 20 minutes, how do I even date? No, you can date. You're going to do it very carefully, but you can date. And it's, and it's actually more about what you're going to discover about yourself. You go, oh, I, I like how I feel around this. Oh, I feel very valued around this. Oh, I, oh, I like this. Oh, oh, this is, oh, this is not good. Okay, I don't want to do this again. You, it's more self-discovery than anything else. Now, let me, let me go a little further that the best way to date is by getting around great people. And as you hang around great people in groups, in friend groups, you'll find chemistry with somebody. And you'll go, oh, I think I like, I'm thinking about her. 
Oh, I'm thinking about him. We were in a, we were in a circle, but I feel like he kind of looked at me like, hey. That, because here's the problem with most Christians, especially in a city like Vegas. We have this Christian social life, and then we have our other social life. Y'all know it's true, huh? You know it's true. We do this on Sunday. It's like, praise God, glory to God. And then Friday night, it's like, turn up. So you're not, you're not going to be out at the club bumping and then just be like, wow, you love Jesus too? This is great. I, that's not going to happen. You're, so build great friendships. Build fr- great friendships. Get advice. Get advice. I want to I challenge you. That if, if you start finding interest in a person, maybe you go on a few dates, bring, bring some good godly people around and you go, what do you think? And they might go, man, I kind of heard, oh, they're kind of crazy. But, oh. <laughs> or you might go, man, they're, they're amazing. Oh, we've heard great things. Oh, man, they just seem so kind. And get some people around. Get some advice around you. If there's a connection in a group, there will probably be connection privately. If there's a spark publicly, there will probably be a spark privately. Okay. So here we go. The first few dates, I've I've preached on this before. I'm going to go here again. The first few dates should be short, casual, shallow, and social. You You don't ask someone on a date and you go to a five star restaurant on the strip and drop 400 bucks. That's not how you, that's not how you do it. Cause you're going to get, you're, you're going to open your heart up too quickly. So the first few dates should be short. They should be casual. They should be shallow. They should be social. It, it should be chill. It should be fun. It should be a, it literally should be a, a sushi spot or, or a, or a Buffalo Wild Wings kind of level or, it should be those kind of vibes. Amen. You learn a lot about a person when they eat a chicken wing. Are they a drum person? Are they a flat person? Are they a boneless person? You know me, huh? If you're a boneless, we should have just went to McDonald's. If that's what, you, if you wanted nuggets, we could have got nuggets. I want to see you eat a wing. I want to see what this is all going to look like. I want to hear it. You going to make me gag right now or is it going to be okay? Are you going to? What are you going to order? How comfortable are you trying to get? It should be short. It should be casual. It should be shallow. It should be social. Go somewhere and hang out. Go on a a coffee date. Go on an ice cream date. It doesn't have to be some five-star thing right away where you're there for four hours and it's like you have no other choice but to just unload. (laughs) And people know too much right off the bat. And, and And if there's no mystery, then it's like, well, what do we go to next? So a lot of you are like, okay, I'm going to be sexually pure. Hey, let's go out to this 10-course dinner for four hours. And it's like, what do you do after? You just drink six glasses of wine, and it's like, what do you, like, keep it short. Keep it casual. Keep it shallow. Keep it social. Well, tell me about yourself. I will later. Maybe you'll find that out. Because you, you go out with a perfect stranger. Tell me about yourself. Well, it, it all kind of started when I was three. Um, <laughs> you're just too open. It's just, you're giving away too much. It should be shallow. It should be social. They, they don't need to know everything. But they don't need to know where every tattoo is on your body. They don't need to know where every piercing is. They don't need to know all that. We're keeping it shallow. It's funny how awkward y'all get because I'm like, because you know this is all true. You're like, dang it, Jesus. I showed him that tat. I knew I shouldn't have done that. Okay. Am I helping you? You are hardwired for hope. Never forget this. You're hardwired for hope. 
There's God is the, Romans 15, God's the God of hope. He's the God of expectation. When you give away everything on the first few dates, you leave no mystery. You leave no expectation and you leave nothing to look forward to. You're hardwired for hope. There should be an expectation that is building. This actually gives you joy. This actually gives you. This is why when you buy things that you can't afford, they really, it actually doesn't bring you satisfaction. When you buy something on credit and you can't pay that credit card off, you're buying something that you can't afford yet. Therefore, you robbed yourself of the hope. But if you want something and you save up for it, and it might take three months or it might take four months or it might take six weeks or whatever, and then you can finally afford to buy that thing that you've been wanting, now there's a joy with it because you're hardwired for hope. When you go on one date, two dates, and then you start sleeping with each other, you've robbed yourself of hope. You've robbed yourself of the intimacy of the wedding night. You've robbed yourself of the joy of what that's going to be. You, you, you're hardwired for hope. You, you let away, you give away all your emotions and all your secrets and all your soul right away. And now, like, where do we go from here? It should take time. You should be guarded. There should be a, a guardedness to you. And, and this is really important to learn because if you're guarded with that person, And little by little by little by little, you give that away to them until eventually there's marriage and the fullness of giving your body away. That will be a sacredness that you teach yourself so that when you're married, you're guarded against others. I hope you you understand this. Because if you give everything away too soon, you'll give away everything too soon to everybody. I hope I'm making sense. So so there's a guardedness that I have to people because of the sacredness that I have with my wife. So so keep keep it light. Keep it fun. Keep it social. See if there's actual chemistry that isn't just physical. Let me have the keys come up because you're going to need that later, by the way. You're going to need chemistry beyond sex. We've been married 16 years. You got to have chemistry beyond sex. Sex is great. Sex is fun. We have it. But our marriage isn't built off of, it's not like it was when we were 22 and 20. I feel like I'm giving away too much right now. I got to stop. Okay. I hope you understand there, ha- there, there better be more than that. There better be more than, than just physical attraction. So you have to learn all that. Okay, there's actual chemistry. Oh, we like the same things. Oh, we like the same. Oh, we're going in the same direction. Wow, we have the same values. Wow, we, we, we're, we, we have the same. We want to go to the same place. We're, we're going into the same future. Oh, we like the same. Oh, we have the same spiritual convictions. Oh, this is awesome. Th- those are the big things that you build a relationship off of. Where in, in dating in America today, 2022, we give away everything up front to a stranger. And we wonder why it doesn't work. We couldn't, you couldn't even build the friendship. You couldn't even build the chemistry. You couldn't even build the connection. Build all of, that, all of those important things first. Values first. Convictions first. Then there's the physical expression that comes later. And that part's going to be great. That part's going to be awesome. You don't need to worry about that. So I know it's heavy. And maybe what you're feeling is that, it, I, I promise you, this is exactly what the Corinthians were thinking. They're reading this letter from Paul going, oh my God. I'm a, I'm, I'm a mess. I don't, oh my God. I just want to tell you there's grace. There's grace for your single life. We, we have so elevated and worship sexuality that we've made it this thing that like sexual purity is just so unattainable. Friend, it's so attainable. 
by the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you don't feel any shame today. Keep running to God. There's, there's a place for you here. There's a place for you. I'm not preaching you out of our church. I don't want you to leave our church. I, but, I, but I just, I want to tell you there's hope for you. You can, you can genuinely, whether you're going to be single for the next six months, you're going to be single for the next six years or ten years, you can enjoy this season. I see it as a gift. I see my body as sacred. And God will honor that. God will honor that. I just need you to hear this. God will honor that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, did you get something from God's word tonight? Make some noise.